I think when things happen that you can't comprehend, you go through the woes and whys is what I call it, where it's like, woe is me, why me, woe is me, why me. I never stay down very long, so the key to me has always been inspiration and information. Coming up, Ariane talks with Lee Thomas, an African-American broadcast journalist who is dealing with an appearance-altering skin disorder, next on Change Nation from the first 30 days. Hi, I'm Ariane, and welcome to Change Nation. As an entertainment reporter, Lee Thomas has had one of the coolest jobs on the planet. He's interviewed tons of celebrities, from Will Smith to Dustin Hoffman to Halle Berry. But what many people don't know is that Lee Thomas is actually a black man who is slowly turning white. In 1994, after noticing white splotches popping up on his heads, hands and feet, Lee went to the doctor and was diagnosed with a disease called vitiligo, the same disease that Michael Jackson claims has turned his skin white. With no known cause and no known cure, Thomas was forced to watch his body slowly turn white against his will. He's just written a book titled Turning White, A Memoir of Change, and all the proceeds are going to his Turning White Foundation to provide support to others who are suffering from this disease. Here to talk with us about how he coped with this health diagnosis is Lee Thomas. Lee, welcome to the show. Ariane, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate the time. So, Lee, you certainly have faced a lot of change in the last few years, and this disease was certainly devastating, not only because there wasn't a cure, but because your dream job of being this wonderful, cool reporter was also probably in jeopardy. How did you react to the news of the diagnosis when the doctors told you what you had? You know, when, I, when he first told me, when the words came out of his mouth, I, I went into this space in my head where I, it was like tunnel vision. I just, it started reeling, like, what does that mean? Um, I have this LIGO, I'm going to start turning colors, and I'm on television. So it was like this, uh, like, like Charlie Brown's teacher. He, he was still talking, but I, I couldn't hear what he was saying because I was caught in my own world where I thought, I really thought it was going to be the end. And I was working in New York at the time. I had to... I went outside, you know, I was at ABC, so I walked down uh, 66th Street into the park right there at Central Park, and I just sat there going, wow, I'm going to be sitting on the park for, in the park for a living because I'm not going to have a job. Um, and, and then I went through the, the, the process, you know. I think when things happen that you can't comprehend, you go through the woes and whys is what I call it, where it's like, woe is me, why me, woe is me, why me. And then I just, you know, and then I, I, you know, I buckled up my belt and I said, I'm not one to stay down. I'm a pretty positive person. And I said, you know, if there's a way through this, I can do it. And I said, if no one sees it, then it won't be a problem. And that's when I started covering it up with makeup. So how did you handle the fear, the doubt, the just all the emotions that show up really in the first 30 days as, as we've found? Was it information? Was it inspiration? Or was it really a, a, just a really great positive mental attitude? Well, at first I, I got pretty low, you know, and that didn't last very long. I never let, I never stayed down very long. So the key to me has always been inspiration and information. A lot of times those two are the same thing because I started seeking out more information about the disease. I sought out more information about overcoming diseases in general. And actually, what helped me even more was more information about me. 
You know, a lot of times you rush through life and you never take stock of who you are and what you've already done because you're so busy worrying about what you don't have and what you haven't done. So I really sat down and I took stock in myself. At that point in my life, I was doing pretty well and didn't even really realize it. I was accomplished some things that a lot of people never accomplish. And I had never sat down and really took stock in myself. And then I went back and I talked to my parents and I talked to my my siblings just to get a perspective on myself again. Because even though you live a life where you see things a certain way, but you go back and talk to someone who was there with you, like my older sister, she saw things completely different and it was the exact same thing. And it just gave me a really different perspective on myself, on my life, and who I was going forward. That kind of information, which was truly inspiration to me, is what propelled me back on my positive journey. Did you lean on on faith in any way? Did something bigger than you just sort of pull you through this? You know, I, I could say yes, yes because I always think that we're all connected. And because of that, we need each other to me. I mean, I couldn't do anything without someone else. And for me, it was my loving sister who's always been there for me. And she always talked everything through with me from my choice of school to my choices of uh, jobs, my job contracts. I mean, she's always been the one. She's, you know, I, I respect and love her immensely. Those are the kinds of things where I say that, that I believe in. I believe in love, you know, and, and you know, a lot of people say God is love. So, uh, in, in, and I guess in an abstract way, faith, but in a more concrete way, I, I look at others and the inspiration that I gained from specifically my sister and then more people as time went on as a helping hand to help me stay on my journey. Lee, I know you had said in the book that you went from hiding from the rest of the world for for a little time. And Mm -hmm. I know certainly when people are going through change, we tend to hide out and not reach out to others. At what point did you decide it was time to really come out, expose yourself, be vulnerable, and, and share your story with everyone around you? Well, I have a twofold answer for you. For me, to get past the cosmetic mental warfare of this disease is very difficult. People look at you funny. People react funny. People say things directly to you. and That kind of negative energy can get to you. I did. At one point, I scared a little girl. She saw me scream and ran. That sent me in the house for, you know, two weeks and three days. While I was there, and I say in the house, meaning I'd put on my makeup, I'd go to work, I'd come home. Uh, and take off my makeup. If I had anywhere to go, I'd go right after work. So I had my makeup on, and then I'd go home. Then I'd take off my makeup. So no one saw me without my makeup for two weeks and three days. And then I, I found myself turning into what I called an angry spotted man, where I just, I just was not reacting well to people. And it wasn't me. And slowly I started to lose myself. The disease was taking me away from me. And when I realized that, I was like, no way, no way. You know what? People are going to say things anyway. If it's not about this, it'll be about something else. I'm just going to go out and, and deal with it and try, to, and try to react to people in a positive, loving way. That's when I came outside and started not wearing my makeup anymore after work. I still wear it on camera, but when I'm done with work, I take it off. I go home. I live my life. I go play basketball, go to the grocery store and everything. So that was one coming out. The number two was telling my story for the masses. That was a simple decision because I was living my life going, okay, I got over my little struggle thinking that 
you know, me with this disease is just one thing. Other people have disease. Vitiligo is not contagious. It's not life-threatening. There are people who have life-threatening diseases. I was just thinking I was another guy who had his own struggle. I didn't really look at it as anything bigger than that. And then I, I was talking on the phone to a kid because people who have vitiligo would see my hands and they know what I have immediately. And they would call and they would want to come in, you know, come in and meet me, especially kids. And they want to talk to me and ask me questions. I'm very encouraging of that. Always have been. And the kid, uh, I was talking to a kid on the phone and he said straight up, would you show your face on television? Will you show people what you look like? And I said, why? And he said, if you show people what you look like, maybe people will treat me differently. And it, it, didn't, it didn't dawn on me till that point, to be honest with you, because I just thought I was another guy with a struggle. So I said, sure, of course, if I can help one kid, I'll, you know, that's an easy thing for me to do. I wasn't going to lose my job. My boss had been asking me to tell my story on the air for at least a year and a half before that, and I just thought she wanted ratings, so I kept putting her off. But when the kid asked, it was simple. Yes, I'll do that for you. And then he told me about an eight-year-old who wore a ski mask to go outside and play because he has the same disease. And I'd do that for him. And I didn't realize that there were kids and adults like that all over the world. You know, so I told my story in 05, and I was already in the process of writing the book. And when I got the response that I got, it was overwhelming. It's one of the biggest responses my station has ever gotten here in Detroit. I started writing the book with the intention of putting the money back into the cause because it's really not about me. My story is if it inspires other people to live their best life, if it helps them to overcome what they need to overcome, then I never thought I would be that kind of inspiration to people. But if that's what it is, then I'm more than happy to do that. That's why I say it's a twofold answer. I came out and dealt with it myself, and then I came out in this overwhelming outpouring of people from all over the world, emails, phone calls, letters, sharing their stories. And now I funnel it into a support group and support group into the foundation to help give back with the money for the book. And it, it's all turned into one beautiful, life-affirming, inspiring story that's really not about, you know, Lee Thomas. I mean, it's my story, but it's about the human spirit now how we all can live through whatever struggle we have. Lee, what do you think, if someone had, could have said to you right at the beginning of when this started, something that really would have made the journey a little easier, a little simpler for anyone listening who might just have been diagnosed with any health diagnosis, what is something that you really would like to share? You know, the one thing that, that I would love to share with someone who's dealing with a health challenge is that if the doctor gives you a diagnosis, it is not the final word. There are other ways. There are other means. And I don't, I don't just mean medical outlets where you can go and get another opinion from another doctor. I mean, it's not the end. Um, what you have is what I found is that sometimes when a doctor says these definitive statements, that that was really the end right there. I mean, when, if, if I would have continued to let my mind spiral down that route, that, okay, it's over, I'm turning white route, you know, it, this disease is incurable route, uh, it would have been me locked in a room by myself. And there's a lot of people who have this disease that don't come out. That's why you don't see them. There's, there's 3.5 million people in this country, something like that, to 5 million people in this country that have this disease, but you don't see them because they don't come outside. Uh, they're out there, or, or I should say they're in there. They exist, but they don't come outside. I could have been one of those people. So at the same time, when you have that diagnosis, it is not the final word on your life. 
you define your life. You choose the way you want to live your life, however long your life will be. You know, hopefully we all live long and fruitful lives and we're able to overcome many obstacles. But the moments that we have right now, the rest of this day, the rest of this hour, the rest of this minute are, are moments to be cherished because life is the gift. That's the key. Yeah, absolutely. My job was just a job. I mean, I could lose this job and I'd still have my life and my family and the people that I love and the sun will still shine and I can still go to the beach and I can still, you know, go and play basketball with my buddies. I can still do all of these things even if I am turning white and if I lose my job. I can still do all of that. That is the key. Engage life. Just don't give up because someone gives you a diagnosis. And you'll find that there are other answers out there if you seek them out. But don't let that diagnosis be the final word. Don't give up your life because of that one sentence from a doctor. And Lee, for the people listening who have either friends or relatives or colleagues who have any type of diagnosis, would you encourage them to talk to the person about it? Because a lot of the times we tend to not even acknowledge that it's there and we're not quite sure what to say, whether to question or encourage or, or acknowledge. What would you say from someone who's sort of around someone with a health diagnosis? You know, that, that, that's a tough one because individually people handle things differently. And I just want to be treated normally. But I realize that that's difficult because I look very different than anyone. I don't look like an African-American specifically. I don't look like a Caucasian. I'm, I'm, and my face is multicolored. And I understand that. But a lot of people are in the midst of their struggle and they're very, very sensitive. So I know that people need each other and compassion and empathy. Don't force the issue, but don't treat the person differently either. And I know it can be a difficult thing to do, but treat them the same. Beautiful. And when they're ready to talk, they'll give you a hint towards that conversation and then be open and loving towards them. And that's when the conversation will go forward. You say something I've highlighted in the book that I wanted to read because I love it and I'd love mm -hmm. you to share a little bit more. You say, the toughest person for you to change is you. The only person you can actually change is you. It's not easy, but once you are open to rebooting your internal programming, it can actually be fun to fight the war within. I'd love that. We're a whole site company and show about change. Mm -hmm. So how has this disease sort of helped you change who you are, how you see yourself, and what you refer to as your inner programming. Yeah, you know, before I was so consumed with, it didn't really matter. All these things externally, you know, why did he talk to me that way? Or why did she look at me that way? Or why couldn't I have that? Or It was always about something external. Until I got this disease, I never really sat down and took that mental, emotional, and physical inventory. When I did, I discovered that I am a good guy. I dig me. <laughs> it's really funny. I, I never thought of it because I was so busy striving to get to that next thing, striving to be this thing I wanted to be. When I actually sat down and took that inventory, I was already that guy. I didn't even know it. So that rebooting of the program was, that's where it started. Instead of living a life trying to be this guy, I was that guy. Just live. And it was a whole different outlook. Because I, I had aspirations to get a job in television. I had a job in television. I still do have a job in television that I love. I, I had aspirations of, you know, sustaining a, a certain level of living, and I had already achieved that. I was doing it. I had aspirations of building a family, having my family, 
be closer to my family, but my job had taken me away from it. I was thinking, well, I got I to gotta get to that. And when I sat down and thought about it, I talked to my sister once or twice a week. I go and visit them as much as I can. I have a, a, beautiful, a beautiful girlfriend that I love, and I'm, we're moving in the right direction. All of these things that I, this picture-perfect life that I was trying to get, I actually already had it and didn't even notice because I was so busy running to the next thing. So that rebooting, that was the first step. And then after that, it was just calming the noise because a lot of times your head will tell you a lot of things and you try to, you know, well, I want this person to say this to me. I want this person to react that way to me. It starts with you. You can't control anyone else but you. And it's not about what people say to you. It's about how you react to what they say. And once I stopped trying to elicit responses from people and stopped trying to figure out why they are acting the way that they're acting, my whole program changed. My whole life changed. My whole mental and emotional attitude changed. And I found what I was looking for, which is what we're all looking for. And it's something real simple. It's one word, happiness. I found it. And it sounds as if you had it within you before you just were given a bit of a wake-up call to acknowledge that it was there. That's true. I actually call it a journey back to me because when I was a young man, when I was a little kid, I was the kind of kid that would, uh, you know, my mom would say, wait right here. And I would stand there and I'd dance or sing a song and I'd just crack a joke and I'd be laughing to myself or I'd be singing and, you know, I could find a rock and play with it for 15, 20 minutes, just making up a story about it, you know. And I noticed that throughout life because of things that I'd heard or done or people say you can't and you shouldn't and you wouldn't and you couldn't and all of those things that I had gotten away from that guy, that guy who could simply be and be happy. And this vitiligo, this disease, having it made me search for me again. And I found him and I wasn't that far away. Tilled away all the stuff that life had given me and found out that I was still that happy kid. Man, I was happy to find him again. It sounds as if you would agree that something good will always come from a change or even a difficult change like the one that you've been given. What do you think is the most unexpected good thing that came from all of this? Oh, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. A lot of people that I'd lost contact with, <laughs> they've seen my story on the internet or on some TV show or something, and they've called me back. And uh, it's funny, my best friend from high school, who is overseas serving in the military in Italy, he, he calls me, <laughs> and he calls me up and says, hey, is this, a, is this a former middle linebacker for Eisenhower High School in Lawton, Oklahoma? And I'm like, Craig Edison, get out of here, man. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I've gotten in touch with some friends that I had lost contact with, and I am so incredibly happy that this story has, has reconnected. That's one incredible thing that's happened. Another one is just to see the face of inspiration and the faces of change. A lady walked up to me at my first support group meeting here in Detroit with the support group that I started. And she says, I haven't been out the house in two months, but I came out to see you. And when you have the next meeting, I'm going to be here again. Uh, I had a little kid walk up who has little Ligo. He was six or seven. He's looking at me with, in wonder and like awe. He says, you're like me. And I go, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am like you. It's beautiful. And, and, he, and he just he just was so happy to hold my hand and just stand next to me to realize that, you know, his dreams aren't going to die because he has this disease. And just seeing that realization on that kid's face in that moment was worth everything that I went through to get there. 
Lee, the way that we end off all of our interviews on the show is we ask uh, each of our experts and guests three signature questions, and they're the same three questions that we ask okay. every time, and they are really generally all about change. So the first one is this. What is the belief that you personally go to during times of change? And it could be personal change, professional change, health change. What is the belief that keeps you going? First of all, I really believe that the thing that binds us all together is the spirit of love. I always try to go back to that, meaning that in a time of change, in a time of controversy or, or struggle, I try to act and respond in a mindset of love. And that always helps me because no matter what somebody comes to me with, no matter how negative they are, I always try to come back at them in a, in a mindset of love. And that helps me in change. And the other thing that helps me is I know that I have the ability to make the very next second much different from the second that just happened. But it's up to me. It's really up to me. But the next second, the next minute, the next hour can be very different than the one I just went through. Fill in this sentence for us. The best thing about change is... Oh, that's a tough sentence to fill in. The best thing about change is change. Because you can change. You can have been one thing for a lifetime, for 20 years, and one day you can get up and go, I'm going to be different. The best thing about change is change. You can. It's free. I love that, Lee. I haven't heard that one before. And here's the final one. What is the best change that you have ever made? Well, there was one day I was wearing this pair of underwear that I had on for three weeks, and my mom... No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally just kidding. The, Keep the, going. <laughs> that, that's a semi-tree story, but it gets a little funky, so I won't go on. <laughs> the best change that, that, I, that I, I can change, and this is probably a, a mindset where instead of looking to the next thing, I made the change that what I'm doing now is the best thing that the next thing isn't the best thing. Now is the best thing. Mm -hmm. And when I changed that mindset, when I adapted that, uh, life became even sweeter. Lee, thank you for your time, your incredible story, your inspiration. I'm, I'm completely inspired by, by what you've just uh, shared with all of our listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your time. For more information about Lee, his Turning White Foundation, and on Vitiligo, visit www.turningwhite.com and also be sure to pick up a copy of this incredible book, Turning White, A Memoir of Change. For more inspiring interviews with wonderful people and experts, come visit us at first30days.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Change Nation from the First 30 Days. Please visit us on iTunes in the Society and Culture podcast section under Philosophy. Remember to take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of the First 30 Days Incorporated. Copyright 2008. All rights reserved. <laughs>